morning. Good morning. Happy Sabbath. I tend not to like to say good morning and happy Sabbath together because many people don't know what to say. So I try to separate it, but uh, happy Sabbath once again, folks. Good to be with you all here this morning. I haven't been at SAC for about three weeks. I don't know how the schedule panned out that way, but uh, with all the traveling that I've been doing, it kind of messed up our schedule. But I'm glad to be back here. Um, and we're going to be continuing our study in the book of John as usual. We are still at the very beginning. We're still in the first chapter. Um, and there is still much to study. So I don't know how long we're going to continue studying the book of John. But uh, I just hope that so far it's been a blessing. Well, before we get into the word, I just want to ask that you please bow your heads once more for a word of prayer. Let's pray, shall we? Father in heaven, Lord, as we're about to open your word to study, may Jesus Christ be uplifted. May your words be written upon our hearts and minds that truly we might be transformed into the image of Christ. Grant us your Holy Spirit, O Lord, to speak to us and live in our hearts to convict us of sin and righteousness and of judgment to come. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 1. The texts that we have in the book of John, I'm going to ask you to turn to. But the texts outside this book, I'm going to have them on the screen. So it'll be a mix and a match of both. John chapter 1, starting in verse 6. The Bible says this. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. Verse 15. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. Verse 19. And this is the record of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And verse 22 then said they unto him, Who art thou, that we may give an answer to them that sent us? What sayest thou of thyself? He said, I am the voice of one, crying in the wilderness, Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. We cannot study the book of John and ignore a very important character that we find here. This John is not the gospel writer of which we are reading his book right now. This John is John the Baptist. And he plays a very significant role, not just in this gospel, but really as the forerunner of Christ. The one where he said in verse 23, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. And then he said what? Make straight the way of the Lord. Typically, when kings traveled, they had people go before them, 
and they would cover up all the potholes. They would build the bridges that need to be built so that he could cross over. They would make sure that his travel was as smooth as possible. And John describes himself as one of those people that would make straight the way of the Lord. To make it easy to open the way and make it smooth for Jesus Christ to come. That was the role of John the Baptist. Yet, he is compared to someone else in Scripture. If you'll go back to chapter 1 there, and in verse 21, it is asked, What then? Art thou Elias? And he said, I am not. Art thou that prophet? And he answered, no. Look, John had a very low estimation of himself. He never considered nor called himself a prophet, even when they asked him, who are you? Are you that prophet? Are you Elijah? But then I want you to come with me to Luke. In chapter 1 and verse 13 and verse 17, look at what the Scriptures say about John the Baptist. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. Verse 17, And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make a people prepared for the Lord. John the Baptist himself said, no, I am not Elias, but yet Jesus or the angel himself declared that John the Baptist would come in the spirit and in the power of Elijah. So that is his New Testament name, Elias. Further on, it says in Matthew chapter 11, Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of woman, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. If ye will receive it, this, speaking of John the Baptist, this is Elias, which was for to come. There are numerous texts throughout Scripture that describe the work of John the Baptist as that of Elijah. Let's go to one more. Matthew 17, verse 10 to 13. And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then say the scribes that Elias must come first? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Elias truly shall come first and restore all things. But I say unto you that Elias has already come, and they knew him not, but have done unto him whatsoever they listed. Likewise shall also the Son of Man suffer of them. Then the disciples understood that he spake unto them of who? John the Baptist. John the Baptist came in the spirits and the power of Elijah. He was to fulfill a prophecy that was spoken of by Malachi in the Old Testament, the last book of the Old Testament. This is what Malachi writes in chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. These are actually the two last verses of the whole of the Old Testament. And it says, Behold, 
I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and, to the, heart of the, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Malachi was writing at around 400 BC. For about three to four hundred years, there would what we will call darkness upon the earth. It was not the darkness of the dark ages that we see from 538 to 1798, but Malachi was one of the last Old Testament prophets that would write, and for the next three to four hundred years, there would be no prophets. There would be silence until John the Baptist. And Malachi prophesies of the coming of Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. John the Baptist was a partial fulfillment of this prophecy that we see here. And I say partial fulfillment because when John the Baptist came, he was prophesying of what? He was prophesying of what? The coming of the Lord, right? But when Jesus came as a baby in a manger, it was not a great and dreadful day. Do you see that? The first coming of Jesus was not a dreadful day. It was a glorious day. Amen? Amen? It was the angels that sung upon the hills of Bethlehem, peace on earth and goodwill toward men. It was a great day, but it wasn't a dreadful day. And so the coming of John the Baptist and preaching about the coming of Jesus was only a partial fulfillment. This prophecy was not fully realized in the character of John the Baptist. If that's clear, please say amen. So, what then does this prophecy refer to? When we look at John the Baptist, we cannot but help to look at really Elijah the prophet. And in the Bible, what we really find is three Elijahs. How many? Three. The first one we find in the Old Testament, he is the literal Elijah. He's the one that stood before King Ahab. He's the one that said, according to my word, there's going to be no rain until I say so. The second Elijah is this one that we see in John the Baptist. And to understand who is the third Elijah, we have to do a quick word study on the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Why? Because we need to understand when that would take place. What is the great and dreadful day of the Lord? Because God said He would send Elijah the prophet just before that time. What would be His work? Just like John the Baptist, make straight the way of the Lord. Prepare a people to make them ready for that day. But what is the great and dreadful day of the Lord? Let's start here in Revelation chapter 6. Notice what the Bible says here in verse 12. Behold, and I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake. The sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. Notice these three things, or four in verse 13, that happened. Number one, there was a earthquake. Secondly, the sun became what? 
black, the moon became blood, and the stars of heaven, what? Fell to the earth. Even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. If you are a student of the book of Revelation, you will find that these four things already took place in the 17 and 1800s. The Great Lisbon Earthquake, the falling of the stars took, in, took place in 1830s. So we see that these culmination of these events have already happened. Now, watch this. Verse 14. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Friends, any Christian preacher would tell you that this event, when the heaven departs as a scroll, it is referring to what event? It is referring to what event? The second coming of Jesus in the clouds of glory. So when the heaven departed as a scroll, that's referring to our time. And then it says, for the great day of His wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? The second coming of Jesus is a great day for those that are looking for it. But it will also be a day of wrath for those that will be running. It will come to a point where the wicked will even cry to the rocks to fall on them and hide them from the face of Him that sits upon the throne. The second coming of Jesus is not only a great and glorious day, it is also a terrible or dreadful day to some. Let's keep going. Joel chapter 2, verse 31. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood. Does that sound familiar? That's Revelation chapter 6. The sun turns to darkness, the moon into blood, before what? The great and the terrible day of the Lord come. So the second coming is not just a glorious day, it is a great and terrible day, just like what we see in the prophecy of Malachi, where Elijah will be sent just before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Let's keep going. Jude chapter 1 verse 6. And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. That great day has not taken place yet. It's still in the future. The, the, the angels that left heaven, that followed Lucifer, they would be judged in the future. When? At the second coming. Revelation 16, verse 14, For they are spirits of devils, working miracles, which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world, to gather them unto the battle of that great day of God Almighty. What is that great day? Behold, I come as a what? Thief. The great day is connected to Jesus coming as a thief. Well, what is that day? 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, But the day the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burnt up. Friends, when is that going to take place? It is at the second coming. Through and through, we have sufficient evidence to see that the great and dreadful day of the Lord is referring to the second coming. 
That is when the prophet Elijah must appear again. John the Baptist appeared six months and began to preach for six months just before Jesus got baptized. As soon as Jesus was baptized, John ended up in prison. His ministry was done. It was a short time before Jesus came that this preaching took place. And in a similar fashion, the Elijah that must appear just before the second coming of Christ, he will also have a very specific work. Who is this Elijah? I know what some of you guys are thinking. It must be Ellen White. You're wrong. It's not. I'm sorry to disappoint you, but it's not. Okay? Who is this Elijah? The Faith I Live By, page 290, paragraph 5. In this time of well-nigh universal apostasy, God calls upon His messengers to proclaim His law in the spirit and power of Elias. As John the Baptist, in preparing a people for Christ's first advent, called their attention to the Ten Commandments, so we are to give, with no uncertain sound, the message, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment is come. With the earnestness that characterized Elijah the prophet and John the Baptist, we are to strive to prepare the way for Christ's second advent. Friends, according to what we read there, who is the third Elijah? Okay, we are is too general. Who is we? Seventh-day Adventist church? The remnant? Did this quote say Seventh-day Adventist church? No. What did it say? Who are the we? Those that preach what? The first angel's message. And you can't preach the first without preaching the second and the third. Found in Revelation chapter 14. Fear God, give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment is come. Now, let me say something simple here, okay? The first one is Elijah. The second one is John the Baptist. And the third, I say the Seventh-day Adventist church, but guess what? Not everybody in the Seventh-day Adventist church are preaching the first angel's message. Are you with me? I've not found any other church that preaches the gospel that we find in Revelation chapter 14, where in Matthew 24 and verse 14 it says, and the gospel of this kingdom must be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then what? The end shall come. The only place we find a gospel that goes to the whole world is found in Revelation chapter 14. And this is why I talk about the first, second, and third angels' messages. What I read in the previous slide there, that quote, it agrees and it's in harmony with what we find in Scripture. But you know what? I believe that through and through, God has called this church to be the remnant church of Bible prophecy but not everybody in it is truly in the spirit and power of Elijah. Very quiet. 
Do you know why God called this church into existence? Let me say it a different way. Do you know why God called John the Baptist into existence? It was for the six months of ministry that he had. You would think, what a waste. 30 years of preparation just for six months. But you know, John the Baptist played a very, very specific role. And I'm telling you, friends, as Seventh-day Adventists, God has called us to a very specific role. We are not like the other Christians out there. Just like how John the Baptist was not like the other Jews out there. His lifestyle was different to the other Jews. He lived in the wilderness. He wore different types of clothes. He ate different types of food. Do you know that? Why? So people can call you weird? No. Do you know why we are given these standards as a church? Not just so, oh, you got to keep it to be saved. That's not the reason why. God gave us a specific diet so that we could be the most healthy to preach the gospel. Amen? Amen? He gave us this diet not to, so that you could be restrictive and different and be a condition of salvation. No, He wants you to be healthy so that you can give the gospel with power. He wants you to live a certain way so that all the time and the resources can be put in to this one thing, to give the gospel a certain sound. And not all Adventists are preaching or teaching the first, second, and third angel's message. Dare I say, many of us do not even know what it is. And so for those that are not Adventists here, you must think that I'm bragging about the church, but I actually have a very straight message for our church this morning. Because if we fall short of that, we fall short of the purpose of why we are here. We're not here to just give you another place of worship. We're not here to just entertain you. We're not here to just find activities for your kids. You know what I mean? All the things that we should be doing as a church should point to this one thing. How can I preach the gospel? How can I make straight the way of the Lord? How can I prepare the way so that Jesus can come? That is our mission. And we must not allow anything to take us away from this mission. We got to relook, and this afternoon we have a strategy, but we have to relook at what we do. Why do we do it? Why do we do certain activities? We've got to ask ourselves this question. Will the gospel go out if we do this? Look, as an individual, friends, as an individual, you can do whatever you want, okay? It's none of my business. But as a church, and the direction that we go, we must line it up with the third Elijah. This is what God calls us to do in these last days. This must be our mission. Let me show you some similarities between the literal Elijah and then John the Baptist and then what we should be doing. 
1 Kings 16, this is where you find Elijah in chapter 17. He's about to appear. But what happened just before that? And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. Ahab was the king that was the most famous because of Elijah. He's the one that Elijah always picked on. Oh, you again, my enemy, Ahab would say. Why did he do the evil? It came to pass as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbel, king of the Zidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. Ahab was probably the worst king of all the kings of Israel. And if you remember all the sermons I preached on the kings, not one time did Israel have a good king. They were all bad. But Ahab was the worst of the worst. You understand that? He was the one that brought the whole of Israel to bow down before idols and worship Baal. And that's the time when Elijah appeared. He always had the big problem with Jezebel. Do you know that? She was the one hunting his life. She was the one that controlled the affairs of the kingdom behind the scenes. It was a time when Ahab, he wanted this garden next to his castle. And the guy said, no, this belongs to my family. I can't sell this to you. And he went home very sad. And Jezebel was the one that went out and killed him. And says, okay, Ahab, go and take it. She was the mastermind behind all the things that were wicked in the history of Israel at that time. But then look at this. Matthew chapter 14, verse 1 and 5. Look at what John the Baptist did. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard of the fame of Jesus and said unto his servants, This is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead, and therefore mighty works do show forth themselves in him. For Herod had laid hold on John and bound him and put him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife. Do you know what had happened? Herod had taken Herodias, who was his brother's wife. Do you see that? For John had said to him, it is not lawful for thee to have her. And when he would have put him to death, he feared the multitude because they counted him as a what? Prophet. So John the Baptist spoke against the king, in a sense, the, emperor, the ruler at that time, and said, look, what you did was wrong. You should not have done this. That's fornication. Now, Revelation 14, verse 8, And there followed another angel, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. You know, the last day Elijah would cry out against fornication as well. The work that we would do would be similar to what John the Baptist did, to what Elijah would do in the Old Testament as well. Revelation 17, verse 1 and 2, There came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, and talked with me, saying, Come to me, hither, come hither, I will show thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed what? Fornication. God's last day people would cry out against spiritual fornication as well. The work that the last day Elijah would do 
would be exactly similar to that which was done by literal Elijah and John the Baptist. This is the first, second, and third angel's messages. God's church would cry against all the evils and the fornication that is taking place in the world today. What is spiritual fornication? That is another study for another time. I'm sorry, I have 30 minutes passed by already, and I have still uh, some other content to focus on. I want us to go back to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, and we're looking there again at verse 6 and 7. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. What was the primary role of John the Baptist? He was to be a witness. Look at verse 15. John bare witness of him. Look at verse 32. And John bare record. Come with me to John chapter 3 and verse 27 and 28. John 3, 27. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. Ye yourselves bear me witness that I, what, am not the Christ. So John, he was a witness. He was not the Christ. He was just simply a witness. And friends, the word witness there in the New Testament, this is the Greek word that you see. This is, in its English form, this is how you pronounce it. Martyrio. Okay? And even then, look, I've not studied Greek. I just see it in the concordance, so I might have pronounced it wrong. But when you look at it, it seems like a very, very similar word we have in English. What is it? Martyr. What does the word martyr mean? What is a martyr? Someone who dies for what they believe in. Look, I'm not asking you to die and be a martyr today. You know why? The first Elijah, he never died. Right? He was whisked up to heaven in a fiery chariot. The second Elijah, he died, okay? I'm not saying that you got to die. But here's the thing. You got to be willing to die for Christ's sake. Do you know many of us, we're willing to die for money. We're willing to die for our children. We're willing to die for our spouse. We're willing to die even for computer games. Like you're going to hear about these people, they play like five days straight, no sleep, don't eat, don't drink, and then they die of kidney failure or something, you know? People are willing to die for the craziest of things. I don't watch movies, so I supplement it with documentaries, and I watch this guy called Bear Grylls. Have you heard of him? He eats anything and everything. He 
is willing to die. For what? I have no idea. But we come across people that are always willing to die for certain things. And Christ says, if you are to follow me, you've got to be willing to die. You've got to be willing to be a martyr. Come with me in your Bibles to Matthew. And this is the problem with slides. I chop and change things a few times here and there. But if you go to Matthew 24 and look at verse 14. Matthew 24, verse 14. This is a scripture song that we read. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a what? Witness. Do you see that word witness? It's the same witness that we see here. When we go and preach the gospel to the whole world, it's not just standing on a pulpit preaching. It's not just posting YouTube or Facebook videos. And that's, wow, the whole world, because everybody's got a smartphone today, right? No, that's not what it is. It involves sacrifice. It involves the expenditure of means, and maybe someday in the future, the expenditure of your life itself. That's what happened to the apostles. That's what happened to the early church, Stephen, the first Christian martyr. But it was because of him that Paul the greatest New Testament writer, was converted. He died. And where one died, ten sprung up. In the dark ages from 538 to 1798, Ellen White writes, the blood of the martyrs was the seed of the church. It is because of some people's deaths that others were saved. Come with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, the same author that we've been studying John wrote the book of Revelation and he says here in verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. And look at this, verse 2. Who bear record of the word of God. When you look at the root word of that bear record, in the Greek, it is the same word, martyrio. It is the same Greek word that we see in the purpose of why John the Baptist was called to be a witness. To the point that you would be willing to die for the truth. Now, I know what you're all thinking. Because I ask myself the same question. How do I know if I'm willing to die or not? How do I know? We hear these phrases and, yes, you've got to sacrifice and be willing to lay down your life for Christ. But none of us really in our heart of hearts want to die, right? Come on, be honest. Look, I'm a pastor. I'm not willing. I'm not at that point yet. God's got to work on my heart. I'm not ready to hear, say right now, okay, God, take my life. I'm going to go preach to all the Muslims and let them kill me. I don't care. You know, people are warning me. I think Cass was one of them. He's like, hey, you're going to Dubai. You better be careful. You know, a bunch of families, they got me scared. You're preaching the gospel, you know. They might put you in prison. I get really scared, you know. I don't think any of us really have the faith of the martyrs right at this moment. So the question is this. How can we be prepared to be a witness? How can we 
eventually get to that point where we can say, you know what? Lord, I'm ready. Take my life. It doesn't matter. But I believe right now from where we sit, in the comforts of our own life, many of us, myself included, are not ready. So how? That's the question that we must ask in our remaining time here. Come with me in your Bibles to John chapter 5. How can we be a witness? That's really what we're asking. John chapter 5 and verse 36. John chapter 5 and verse 36. But I have a greater witness than that of John. For the works which the Father hath given me to finish, the same works that I do bear witness of me, that the Father hath sent me. Well, what bear witnesses, what bears witness of Jesus? Verse 39. Search the Scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. If we are to bear witness of Jesus, we must have His testimony, His witness. So the first thing that will prepare us is the Scriptures. John chapter 15, verse 26. John 15, verse 26. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me, and ye also shall bear witness. What do we need there? We need the Holy Spirit. So if we are to be witnesses, we need the Bible. We need the Holy Spirit. John chapter 10 and verse 25. John 10 and verse 25. Jesus answered them, I told you and you believed me not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. What bears witness of Christ? The works. There are three things that if we are to be witnesses for Jesus in this last day and we are to prepare to be witnesses, we need three things Bible, Holy Spirit, and our works. Bible, we got to read it. How do we get the Holy Spirit? How do we ask? We've got to pray. And then, our works. Does this sound familiar? Bible? Prayer? Works? Do you know where we find this? Bible? Prayer? And works? It's found in the sanctuary. The Bible is a table of showbread. The altar of incense is prayer. The golden candlestick represents the church shining the light. Matthew chapter 5, and they shall see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. 
Do you know the steps in the sanctuary, that first compartment called the holy place, sanctified life, is what prepares us to be martyrs at the end of time. Look, maybe right now we're not ready. We're not ready to die for Christ. But some of us are ready and willing to give tithe. That's 10%. Do you know what you call that? That's called sacrifice. Are you with me? That's sacrifice. Sacrificing 10% of your salary. Others of you, you're giving 10% offering. So if you give 10% tithe and 10% offering, that's 20% of your salary. It might not be your life, but nonetheless, it's sacrifice. Amen? Why do we keep the Sabbath? Because the Bible says so. But you know, when you study the Scriptures, you ask God for Holy Spirit to help you to keep the Sabbath, guess what? You are here, and you're not at home studying. You're not out working. You're not at home sleeping. You can be doing many other things, but you're sacrificing time. Why? Because of the Bible. Do you get where I'm going with this? Some of us, we've decided to be vegetarian just this past year. Guess what that requires? Self-denial. That's sacrifice. I'm not eating this anymore. I'm just only going to eat that. That's sacrifice. Some of us have decided to give up our studies to be Bible workers. Guess what? You're not sacrificing your life, but you're sacrificing time, maybe your career. Why? I hope it's because of this. What I'm telling you is if you spend time in the Scriptures, if you're praying for the Holy Ghost, your works will testify of sacrifice. And it might not be to the point where you lay down your life for Jesus and the gospel's sake. But I'm telling you, those that go into foreign missions, that give up, they sell their house, they sell their car, they go to Cambodia, they live out in the middle of nowhere, they have to fundraise, they're sacrificing their lives, their careers, their jobs. I've met people like that. And I'm telling you the reason why is because they had an interaction with the Bible and the Holy Spirit. And that convicted them to do something. That was the foundation. What am I trying to say? The remedy, or really, the foundation upon which we are to stand upon to be the third Elijah is quite simple. It's study the Bible and pray every day. Did you know that? That's it. There's nothing else. This is what turns us into disciples and apostles and missionaries and preachers and teachers and those with burdens for their friends to bring them and let them know about the truth as it is in Jesus. This 
is what motivates us because the Scriptures set our hearts on fire for Jesus Christ. And we cannot remain silent. we got to do something about it. But I'm telling you, friends, every step of the Christian journey involves sacrifice. But I pray it's willing sacrifice. I hope some of you here are here this morning because not of a spouse, of your parents, of tradition, of habit, but I pray that you're here because the Scriptures have set your heart on fire for Jesus, and you've seen the truth, you've prayed, God, help me to keep the Sabbath, and that's why you're here. I pray that all that you do throughout the week is motivated by your love for God's Word and Jesus Himself. And as we continue to grow, the sacrifices get bigger. Do you know that? The first vision of Ellen White that she got was entitled, The Narrow Way. Have you heard of this before? She had this vision of people traveling this road up to heaven. And at the beginning, they were packed with their wagons and their horses and all their life belongings in the back of the wagons. But as they went along, the road got narrower. So over time, they had to cut their wagons loose. They put all their belongings on the horses, and they still traveled. But even then, as they went along, the way got narrow. Between them, uh, on one side was a cliff, like a wall. And on the other side was the cliff that fell off into a deep. You couldn't see the end of it. It was dangerous. And so as they got narrower, the horses found it hard to maneuver. They had to cut all their belongings off, and it fell off to the side. They got on the horses, and they continued on. And as time progressed, the road got narrower until it was too dangerous to go on horse. They had to get off the horses, leave them behind, and they went on foot. And as it got narrower, even then, it got too dangerous to be wearing shoes. It was too slippery. They took their shoes off, they went barefoot. Every step of the way, their journey was marked with sacrifice. There's a lot more details in that vision that I, care to get, that I can give right now. But what I wanted to illustrate is that as we progress in our Christian journey, it's going to call for more and more sacrifice. And whether that's time or money or means, whatever it is, I'm telling you, God does not call us and leave us right there. As you continue to grow, the Scriptures will show you areas in your life that you need to come up higher in. The Holy Spirit will convict your heart and say, you've got to give this up. Or now, instead of 10% and 10%, 10% tithe, 15% offering. Somewhere along the way, the Scriptures will guide you to the point of what? When the mark of the beast comes, there will be people that will be ready and willing to lay down their life for Jesus. You know why? Because they have nothing left to lose. They have no possessions. They've been cut away a long time ago. 
They have nothing in their name. They're willing to be a martyr for Christ. Friends, have you been sacrificing for Jesus? There is no commitment without sacrifice. Let me put it differently. There is no love without sacrifice. The great Martin Luther King, he said, if a man hasn't discovered something that he will die for, he isn't fit to live. Have you found something in Christ that you're willing to sacrifice for? Too often it is God, bless me, help me, bless me, I need a bigger home. I need better grades. I need a wife or a husband or a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Help me. You know what I mean? And we go the opposite direction. Not sacrifice, but riches. But friends, it shouldn't be that way. As we progress in this narrow way, God is calling us to a life of sacrifice to a life of self-denial, to a life that one day we might stand before kings and princes and give a straight testimony that might cost us our life. You look at the preaching of Stephen. He was straight. Do you know that? Some of you, you tell me, yeah, Ben, you, you, you're just too straight up. You're too offensive. But you go look at Stephen. I'm mild compared to Stephen. Do you know that? Do you know what he said that got him killed? As he was recounting the history of the Israelites and showed how Jesus fulfilled every single symbol that was given in the Old Testament, people began to get agitated. And so he knew that his time was coming to an end. And he stood up and he said, You stiff-necked, uncircumcised in heart, always resisting the Holy Ghost. That was like the final nail in the coffin. Do you know that? I've never called a person stiff-necked before. With all the words that I've said, I've never called a person stiff-necked. If I've called you that, I'm sorry, you've got to come. And then next week, I'll confess that there was such a person in my life that I've called that. But I've never called anyone uncircumcised in heart, always resisting the Holy Ghost. I've never. Of all the things that I've said in anger, I've never said that. But that cost him his life. And it was because of that the greatest New Testament prophet that we've ever known, Paul, was converted. And he preached. And he was the one at the end of his life said, I've preached to every creature under heaven. Friends, you might not be the Paul. You might be the Stephen. But there is no one greater than Jesus Christ himself. We all want to live. We all strive to be part of the 144,000. But friends, you can't go there with your degree. You can't go there with your money. You can't go there with your possessions and your lands. You can only get there with Jesus Christ and His Word written in your heart. My dear brothers and sisters, Christ has set a very clear path for us to follow. It's not laden with fame and fortune. It's not laden with 
a life of ease and comfort and riches, it will require sacrifice somewhere along the way. Are you willing to follow Him? Have you found the Jesus in the Scriptures? Has He become your forever friend? Is He the lover of your soul? Is He the apple of your eye? Is He your Redeemer and Creator? Is He your forever friend? Do you love Him more than anything else this world can give you? Are you willing to follow Him all the way to the very end? As we stand for our closing song, I will follow Thee, my Savior. I want you to look at the words of this song. I want you to read it and sing it with understanding. And if the words that you're singing don't match your heart, then I want you to pray while you are singing it. That you would be willing to follow Jesus wherever He goes. You know, it's often that I tell the Bible workers, please, you got to calm down in your work. Don't get burnt out. Some of these guys, they, these ladies, they, they think they're just going to be here for one year, so they don't need to take a break. They don't need to go on holiday. They don't need to have a, even a day for themselves. And I'm telling you, we have a good group of Bible workers. They're willing to stretch themselves and sacrifice. But friends, I'm not asking you to get burnt out for Christ. I'm not asking you to work 20 hours for Christ and only sleep four hours. I'm not asking you to pray three times a day, one hour every time, just so that you could follow Jesus. No, friends. But what I'm doing is I'm asking you to compare yourself with Jesus. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Whenever you're tempted to complain, whenever you're tempted that this is too much, I can't do it, whenever you think that it's enough, I want you to look at Jesus again. Compare your life to His. He's not asking you to die for Him today. He's asking you to live. But in living, it's going to call for sacrifice. And when we do that and we step out in faith, God is preparing us to be preachers for Him in the end times. To give the gospel a certain sound. He's preparing us to come in the spirit and in the power of Elijah. But it will not come with just a simple prayer of 30 seconds every morning. You have to wrestle with God. You have to wrestle with the scriptures. And then you got to put forth earnest effort and earnest decisions to say, God, I'm going to do this today. It's called intentional living. Friends, you're called for a purpose. You're all here this morning. I don't know why God allowed you to hear this message, but you're here. And I know that God has a reason behind this. He never, He never makes mistakes. 
And here we are. And He's waiting for us to decide. He's calling us to sacrifice. Some of us, we have things and items in our life that need to go. We've been holding on to it. Maybe you're saying to yourself, I'm waiting for the right time. There's never a better time than now. Amen. And maybe you need to go home this afternoon, this evening, whenever you get home, and you have to throw that item out. As precious as it might have been to you, it's got to go. But some of us, we're not willing to sacrifice the time, and you know it, and you've been living your own life six days a week, and you've been the typical Seventh-day Adventist. And you say, Lord, I need to give more time. Time in service to you, in loving service, not forced, not because the preacher said so, but you've been convicted in your heart and you know, Lord, my relationship has not been where it should be with you. And you're saying, God, I need to give more time. And yet there are even some here maybe in our midst. Look, I don't check up on tithe givers. That's between you and God. But on behalf of God, I'm asking you, maybe there are some here that have not been faithful in their giving. Giving back of the money that belongs to God. Whether it be tithes, whether it be offerings. The work of God should not languish. We should not be, as the uh, tithe and offering, we should not be raising carnivals and all these fun things just to raise money for God's cause. The work of the Lord must go forth in a solemn manner because it's a solemn message. Fear God. Give glory to Him. Maybe some of us, we've been depriving God of what belongs to Him. But today, we need to make a recommitment and say, God, whether this be you in time, in money, or sacrifice of possessions, I ask you to come forward. Make that decision for Christ today. There's never a better time than today. It will never get easier than today. But come forward and tell Christ you mean it, that you're willing to follow Him all the way. And whether that be in time, whether that be in money, whether that be in sacrifice of possessions that we just know are bad for us. Come forward and tell God you mean it. Anyone out there? It requires courage to follow the Lord. It will require even greater courage to lay down your life for the Lord. But here are the baby steps. Anyone else? Come. 2018 is almost over. Blink of an eye, it's past. And some of us, we are still standing upon decisions that we made 11 months ago and we've not moved yet. Come now. Don't make 2018 a waste. Is there anybody else? Come. Come. Make these decisions for Christ today. Tell Him you're serious. Tell Him you're willing. Tell Him you love Him. Anybody else? Come.
and then we're going to pray. God bless you, sister. Anybody else? Anybody else? Come. Don't hold that decision off till tomorrow. Look, there are some of you in your seats, I know, and it's fine. You're standing there. You're praying in your hearts with me. God's convicted you. We're going to seal this with a word of prayer. We're going to ask God to help us to take action upon these decisions that we've made. Let's bow our heads, shall we? Father in heaven, Lord, I want to thank you for the cross because it reminds us that no one has sacrificed greater than your son. And even in heaven, you had to give up your son for us to be spit upon, to be hit across the face, to have a crown of thorns pressed upon his head. But yet that opened up a stream of blood of cleansing just for us, Lord. I want to thank you for his sacrifice. But Father, as we look upon our life today, some have come forward. There needs to be changes. There needs to be difference in our life today. I pray that whatever decisions that we're making, you would seal them with your spirit. You would not allow this conviction to waver or even dissipate, but that we would go forward with strength and courage to apply that decision we are making today. Please, Lord, help us and continue to lead and guide us with your spirit. And for all those that are making decisions where they stand, help us all, Lord. We want to go forward in the spirit and in the power of Elijah. We want to see you come in our time. Please, Lord, help us to that end. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.